0: Here's what you have, man. I'm going to give you two reasons, two big reasons why why care. Why is care a category? Why is care something that we do here? The first um, is because we were freed for bearing others' burdens. Uh, that's a that's a fairly hot take. Um, like we were, fr- think about this. We were freed in order to bear others' burdens. I'm picking this up from the New Testament, that we there are those of us who have trusted in Jesus, that this is actually part of the work of Jesus in our lives. Listen to this language from the Apostle Paul, early Christian missionary and teacher. He said, for you were called to freedom, brothers, and we might add sisters. You were called to freedom, family of God. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, okay, you've been freed in Christ. You've been forgiven of your sins, but don't use that as an opportunity now to just do whatever you want to do, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I put colors here because you see these two mentions of the, of the law and the law being fulfilled. And then you have three ways that we're told the law is fulfilled. One is through loving um, or through love serving one another through you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and then through bearing one another's burdens. When the Apostle Paul is talking about fulfilling the law, he's saying you were freed, you were saved, your sins were forgiven, so that you might live a new life. So that, and what he's saying here is, so that you might experience actual freedom. And then contrary to every expectation we have of what freedom is, He defines that as your freedom is so that you can love and serve others. Your freedom is so that you can bear others' burdens. He's redefining freedom for us. We live in a cultural moment where freedom is almost exclusively defined as what we are freed from. We want freedom. That's the great Western idea. I want, and what do we want? We want to be free to do whatever we want. We want to be free to fulfill whatever desires we have. And so anything that restricts, anything that constrains is the opposite of freedom. And very seldom is it asked in a culture like ours, what are we freed for? Yeah, I'm freed from constraints. I'm freed from anything that would hem me in. But then what? Okay, I'm free. What do I do with that freedom? And of course, the answer is, do you, you know, uh, follow your heart or whatever Disney thing, right? Like you want to you include in there, whatever that means. We are much more focused on freed from than what we're freed for. The scriptures hold both of those together. They say you are freed from a life of separation from God. You are freed from judgment for your sins. You are freed from the enslavement of sin in your life. But you are also freed for it. Provides, if you will, sort of a positive vision of what that freedom comes with. But shockingly to us, what we're freed for, at least in part, and Paul gives us a pretty hot take here to say the whole law is fulfilled insofar as we bear one another's burdens. This is the entire New Testament's vision of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to no longer be so self-serving, self-obsessed, self-involved, that we actually move out of ourselves and toward others in loving care for them. And it says, that's when you will experience the true freedom for which your soul was made. That's like shocking. That's contrary to, to, to just how most of us are wired, how all of us are wired, quite frankly. And yet when you step back from this reality and you consider Jesus and you consider that Jesus is for us the most fully alive human being, dare I say the the human being who most fully experienced true freedom in this life, truly being exactly who God wanted him to be, we find this. It's one of my favorite quotes. I roll it out every now and then. I still know very little about the person who wrote this. Um, but this is what he says. He says, Not Adam, but Jesus was the first human being. The first member of the human race in hum- humanity came to fulfillment. You hear that language? Fulfillment. The first human being for whom to live was simply to love. For this is what human beings are for. When we encounter Jesus, in whatever way we encounter him, maybe this is your first time ever in church. He strikes a chord in us. We resonate to him because he shows the humanity that lies hidden in us. The humanity of which we are afraid. And I love this line. He is the human being that we dare not be. Keeps going. He takes risks of love, which we recognize as risks. And so for the most part, we don't take those risks. For this reason, we're afraid and we settle for being, listen to this, less than human to not love and serve others, to not care for others, is less than human. We recognize that our very nature calls us to something new and frightening. It calls us to communication, which means self-giving, self-abandonment, being at the disposal of others. We recognize, however dimly, that we are the kind of being that finds its fulfillment, its happiness and flourishing, only in giving itself up, in getting beyond itself. It's saying we taste this in fits and starts. We go and we love someone else without getting anything in return and it does something to us at a soul level that goes, man, that was a good way to spend a day. And that, that, was, that was actually, that, I thought that was going to be a sacrifice and yet it felt more fulfilling to me than even to those that I was serving. You ever had this experience? It's saying that's what's resonating to you in, in your heart, screaming from, from the depths that we've overloaded with all of our own junk and all of culture's messages, and it's going, yeah, that's where freedom actually is. And then we encounter Jesus, and we go, whoa, this is someone who actually lives not with that deeply embedded under all of these layers. It's right out front. It's his modus operandi. It's, it's his natural, instinctual way of being in the world. And we resonate to him. The Apostle Paul says, well, yeah, this is why. Because your freedom is found in being more like Jesus. I.e., your freedom is found in actually losing yourself in love and service to others. That's the first reason. Now you're like, care groups? (laughs) Right? I'll talk about how this lands in care groups. Um, Next one. Two. Why do we we think of this as, as a category that's important for us to develop? Because the gospel, that's the good news of Jesus. We are a gospel centered church is one of our core values because the gospel produces a distinct quality of love right you'll find love in the world and right like most of us hopefully you've had some experience of love and care and service of others but there's a distinct quality to christian love again the apostle paul says love one another with brotherly affection you know what word that is even if you're not a greek scholar anybody guess Yeah, phileo love, right? Philadelphia, right? Um, The city of brotherly love. doesn't feel like it as a Giants fan, but there's a whole other conversation (laughs) for another day. Um, Love one another with that kind of love, with family love. That's the quality of love that's meant to be produced among the people of God. Outdo one another in showing honor. And I have in bracketed there probably a better translation of what's said uh, about outdo one another. It's this idea... Of a willingness to go first. A willingness to lead the way in this, I might say, without guarantee of reciprocation. Lead the way in this. Go first. And what it specifically says is, go first in showing honor. Now, this is written into a specific culture with a specific way of kind of doing things. Um, this, is, this is Romans, and so this is written to the, to the center of the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, you have this system where you have the, the wealthy and the significant and the powerful and those in authority, and then you kind of have everybody else. And the, the system, I'm, I'm conflating a lot here, but basically the system was this thing called benefaction, where these people would do things for this group of people in order to receive honor from this group of people. So they would build cities, and they would, um, they would make roads, and they would provide for people's families. But then those cities better be named after them. Those cities better bear the mark of their family crest or whatever. Because honor was the most important thing in the Roman Empire. You wanted honor. So you did good things in order to get honor. Very reciprocal. Very reciprocal. So instead of it being any sense of charity, it was, no, 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 I'm going to do as much as I can because what I get in return is this thing called honor. Listen to what Paul is doing here. He's saying, go first in giving one another honor. In other words, flip that dynamic on its head. Give honor, make much of each other, treat each other like like you treat those who, who... Provide everything in your life, but go first in that. Don't wait for anyone to first meet your needs in order to meet the needs of others. He's saying the, the, the gospel, what Christian love does is it flips the dynamic of how love is normally defined in any culture. And it says we go first. We willingly go first. We say I will mean a need when maybe my needs aren't, aren't yet met. Do You hear that? Go first, lead the way in showing honor. Something similar, he says in Philippians, another letter to another church in the first century. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, I've bracketed because the translators are always a, a little, a little skittish. To actually translate what's there, which it literally says, let each of you look not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. That's what it literally says. And notice this language again of counting others more significant than yourselves. Again, he's reading in, he's writing into a, a Roman context, and in Rome, um, humility was not a virtue. That's something that we just can't wrap our brains around as Western people who have inherited, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, you've inherited a, a very Christian ethical moral standard that we've kind of agreed upon in the West. And humility is, is one of those ideas that we're all like, yeah, humility is a good thing. In Rome, it's not a good thing. It was made fun of. It was seen as something that you would only do if you were in desperate need, as you'd have to humble yourself in order to get some benefaction from people who could help you. As someone with power and authority, the last thing you would do is be humble because that would show a sense of need and then you wouldn't receive honor. See how counter that is? Now, Paul is saying, no, 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 the Christian community is going to be a community where humility is at the core of everything we do, and what humility is going to look like is we're going to consider others superior to ourselves. No matter what your social station is, no matter what, where culture would place you, so, socioeconomically or ethnically or whatever, wherever that is, we're all going to be getting, in, in a sense, sort of lowering ourselves further and further in order to consider others more significant than ourselves. He's completely upending how things were done in that time. And no matter what culture the gospel goes into, it challenges the way that we do love. And normally it completely upends it. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do through these groups. By seeing care as something that we're called to Is we're trying to develop and become a community that has a culture that feels like it does these things differently. You tracking with that? All right. With that as sort of the why, let me walk you through what these things are. Oh, and and this is where it lands, is what Rach read. Jesus says this night before he's crucified. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. What's the new commandment here? Does the Old Testament tell people to love one another? The answer is yes, of course the Old Testament does. How is this a new commandment? The way this is a new commandment is that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's what's new. How does Jesus love us? Jesus loves us by dying for us. Jesus loves us in spite of the fact that we don't provide anything to him. He goes and lowers himself in humility and provides what only he can provide. He goes first. He leads the way in showing us honor By providing what we actually need. So that's what's new here. Now check this out. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Jesus stakes the credibility of the gospel. On the quality of love between his people. here. So we think it's really important. To get better at this, (laughs) we think it's really important to train and equip ourselves to love one another well, in spite of all of the barriers and challenges that exist to doing this well in central New Jersey and as busy as we all are, right? All those things, I get it, I get it. And culture says, yeah, you're too busy to love other people. Yeah, your needs aren't being met, so why would you meet the needs of others? Yeah, you're in a season where you just need to fall back and do you, right? Like, I get all of those things, and there's enough truth in that that I wouldn't throw shade on all of that. But also, there is something that Jesus wants to exist within the community that begins to upend some of those dynamics and say, yeah, but the quality of love here is different because we believe that freedom is actually found In losing ourselves, in giving to others, and because the gospel is at stake here and creates a kind of quality of love because we have first been loved, right? This is why Christians can always go first in loving one another, because we've already been perfectly and eternally loved in Jesus. That's how the gospel produces this love. You have been loved fully. You have been seen by the creator of the universe. Therefore, there is never a point at which we can say, yeah, but I am completely and utterly unloved and unseen. No, you are seen and loved by God himself in Christ. And therefore, we can go first. Next slide. So what are these things for? They're for this. They're for mutual care. Um, They're for bearing burdens together. The idea is that you show up to any given care group meeting and you've given some thought to, um, this kind of a reciprocal thing, is, uh, is your coordinators will often prompt you before the next care group gathering, hey, be thinking through what are the needs that, that I have. Right, We all come in with some clarity around, this is the thing that I'm bringing with me that I would love for the group to bear with me. And that could be anything from some deep struggle that you're going through to just something that's very practical that maybe means a lot to you, that would be hard to explain why it means so much to you, but you just need help, someone stepping in, right? We've had families go through tremendous loss in care groups and there's a way that the care group needs to come alongside that. It needs to to be present in that. We've also had people, um, I'm trying not to look at anyone, but like my favorite moment in my care group this last year was someone saying, I'm going away for a while and I don't want my garden to die. And I know that that sounds silly, but that's what I need right now. And someone said, oh my goodness, I would love to water your garden while you're gone, right? That was brought and so beautifully met and literally became my favorite moment in our care group, even though there were, honestly, more intense and, and you know, deeper needs and all that stuff. But the beauty of getting clear on this is what I actually need and then st- someone stepping in and the relationship that's built there and the camaraderie that's built there Right, like that's what we want you to bring with you. That's what these things are for. The second thing, though, hear me out. This, everything I just talked about, will not solely, and I would even say primarily happen within care groups, right? Like we're not loading up. These things meet every other month. (laughs) We're not going to load them up as this is where Christian love is solely expressed at Jacob's Well. What we're hoping these things do is that they build a culture of bearing burdens at Jacob's well, that we are trained, that we are, I, I, I love the phrase, that we are spring loaded to meet each other's needs because we're called to do this in an ongoing way in care groups, right? I heard a story at the, at the discipleship lab we did this summer um, about care groups. I heard someone say, yeah, I, after a gathering here on a Sunday, I was sharing with a fellow mom that I was going through this certain thing, and, and that person moved towards me and said, you know what, Here's, I'm actually going to find you a couple of whatever it was, like doctor's references that I'll send you, and then I'm going to follow up with you when I know you're having your first appointment. And what this person said is, I don't know that this person would have felt the permission or had the instinct to do that apart from having sat in a care group throughout the year and said, oh yeah, this is what it looks like to move towards a need. You raise your hand you go, yeah, I, I, I can help practically with that. I can also follow up with you. I can also be praying for you, right? This is about building a culture here. It's not just about what happens in the care group, as important as that is, but what we're hoping is that a culture bleeds out from these things and we become spring-loaded as a church to say, oh, yeah, we're a bear- burden-bearing kind of church. We do this in an ongoing way. And so when we're just out in sort of normal life and normal friendships within the church, which, you know, ideally you have friendships within your care group and outside your care group. Wherever that happens, you go, oh, yeah, I don't know. I feel equipped to move towards that. Third, we hope that it becomes a tribe within a tribe. This has just kind of been the language that we've adopted. We're just big enough as a church, I'd say, that it's really hard to know everyone. And even sociological studies say to really feel like you belong in a place, you need about 30 or 40 people that, that you feel like, yeah, I could have a conversation with them um, in a way that I can just walk up and start talking to them. That's about how big these things are, and that's why we've leaned into that, is we want you to feel like, oh, yeah, these are my people within the larger people of Jacob's Well. And so that's one aspect of why we do this. These are, these are intentionally multi-ethnic and multi-generational. We are a church. One, again, one of our core values is life in multi-ethnic community. And so one of the reasons why we've kept these big is to make sure that they don't become overly demographically specific, I would say. right? Like we don't have a young people's group and an older folks group and we don't have a singles group and a marriage group. No, no, everybody's going to be together and it's going to be multi-ethnic and multi-generational because there's, there's a particular kind of life, there's a particular kind of beautiful exchange that happens when you're hearing people's experience across those various things, right? And understanding that needs are different for a college student as opposed to someone who's pondering retirement, right? And for those two people to sit in a room and maybe move toward each other in that need, we feel like there's something exceptionally beautiful to that, which is why we've kept them multi-ethnic, multi-generational. And the fifth one is um, that we've intentionally sort of unapologetically Organize these things relationally, by which we mean you've been able to choose which one you're in rather than us drawing circles around the geography of church, which is unwieldy as it is, um, which we love that everybody comes from all over the place. But instead, we've just said, hey, lean into where you feel like you have some some relational connectedness. Um, Because we tried the geographic thing. That's a whole another story. Well, it's a story for another day, which was last Sunday. I kind of told you that story. But, um, but the geography thing just didn't work here. Um, and so instead we've leaned into the relational part of it. Let me just give you a, sort of a mindset that's really important as we head into these things. What we don't want you to think is that each of these groups has two leaders to provide care for 30 or 40 people, right? That would burn them out tomorrow. The idea the reason why we do not call these people, though they are wonderfully gifted leaders, we do not call them leaders is intentional. We call them coordinators. We want your care coordinators to be coordinating the 30 people in that group to care for the 30 people in that group. Right? The idea that, that we've come up with over time is like old school, I'm sure they still do this, but uh, in my mind it's old school taxi dispatchers. Right. Like someone sits, what's that movie, In the Heights, Right. with Benny, um, remember that scene? I'm connecting with 10 people. Um, <laughs> where he's doing the dispatcher thing, um, right, like you call into the dispatch unit, and the person picks up, and they say, yeah, where are you? And you say, I'm in South Brunswick, and I got to go up to North New Brunswick, and they say, okay, and then they get on another call, and they say, hey, there's someone, I think that you're near there, why don't you make that your next, right? If that person tried to provide all of the rides on a given night, one, it would be impossible, two, that person would be burned out and would quit the next day. Instead, what they know that they have is that they have a fleet of cars at their disposal that they can say, oh, that car makes the most sense to provide for that need, right? And hopefully, they don't even have to do that. They're just providing the context where that can naturally happen, where a need is expressed in the room, and then a hand goes up and says, I, I'm the, I, I can help with that. I can move towards you in that, okay? Is that all we have? Let's ignore that. That's too much. (laughs) Great. Uh, Just another run at our upcoming events. I wanted to make sure that I didn't forget the men's retreat, but we already talked about that. Um, Today is Care Group Sunday. So the Care Group gatherings will be in October and December. We're about to send you into these groups all throughout the building, um, and you'll get specific dates from your coordinators. Um, But just one more look at kind of where we're headed in the fall. Okay, a couple things uh, before we transition to communion. One, um, Jalen. Jalen also say Jalen and Bina, Bina Thomas, who was mentioned before, who you scrolled past if you use the website. Um, there are directors of care. Um, unfortunately, Bina uh, couldn't be here um, because of, of a medical thing, not not her or Minoj personally, but something going on in the family. If she regrets that she's not here. But Jalen will give you some instructions. So he'll probably underline a couple of these things. But one. If you've been involved in a care group this last year, we would strongly encourage you to stay in that care group. Um, We feel like continuity in these things is really important. It's just really important that we continue to build. Six meetings was not enough, right? Like um, if there was any feedback we got, it was like, yeah, it felt like we were just getting on. Cool, then stay in yours. Let's create some consistency in these things. If you're new here, we realize this is probably a lot to take in and we're going to show you four groups, and a couple of them are going to be, all this stuff, Um, we will be out in the lobby at what we lovingly call the Connections Kiosk to answer all of your questions to to kind of direct you. So if you're a little overwhelmed right now, don't worry about that. Jalen's going to come up and kind of provide guidance on that, okay? With that, I am going to transition to communion. Um, We are a church that every Sunday comes to this table because we believe we always need the grace of Jesus, Um, The night before he was crucified, the very night that he said those words, a new commandment I give you that you would love one another as I have loved you. And he's saying that in anticipation of the cross that very same night. He says in order to remember that, in order to embody that yourselves, um, take bread regularly and eat it in remembrance of my body broken for you. Take wine and remember that my blood was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And so this is something, uh, just a rhythm that we have every week as a church. These tables are for followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, scriptures are very clear you honor him most by just kind of considering what you've heard today. We come down these two aisles, You take the bread, dip it in the wine or the juice. They're both uh, labeled. And take it, there's a gluten-free table here. Um, The band will play, and then once they're done, Jalen will come up and kind of direct us into the next part of our day. Let me pray, and then I'll welcome you forward. Father God, thank you, Lord, for this incredible, um, this incredible call. Lord, thank you that you have first loved us so that we can love one another. And God, our simple prayer is that Jacob's Well would be known as a place that has a distinct kind of love um, to it. And yeah, Lord, we know that all that can't happen solely in these groups, but we pray that these care groups would be a means of building culture here um, where we would increasingly known as as those kind of people, as a distinct kind of people, not because of our own name, not because of how wonderful we are, but because of how wonderful you are, Lord Jesus. So even as we come to this table, I pray that it would be a time of recommitment to love and serve others, Um, even a commitment to these groups, Lord, for those of us who who have been involved in them. Um, And God, uh, thank you that you went first, that you took the lead on this so that we could come to this table and then be sent out. into a new way of life. So be with us uh, during this time of faith in Jesus' name. Amen. And come when you're ready.